Welcome to the Joyful Nourishment Podcast. This is a podcast about our relationship with food and eating, body image, eating disorder recovery, mental health, and more. I am your host, Lynn Thorstensen, a registered nutrition therapist and body image coach based in the West of Ireland. And I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome back to the Joyful Nourishment Podcast. And I'm so excited that you're here. And today I have Nadia Felsch as my guest, and she is a nutritionist, an intuitive eating counselor, feminist, and fat activist. She is a white, thin woman living in living on unceded Gadigal country in Sydney, Australia, with her partner and two miniature dachshunds named Toast and Avocado. And I have seen pictures of them, and they look incredibly cute. Nadia's work is underpinned by the great unlearning of and healing from the typical narratives we all hold about food, health, and our bodies. And she supports folks to reconnect with with and trust their innate body wisdom to find what works for them in how they care for and relate to their bodies and smashing some norms along the way. And I am very excited to have this conversation with Nadia because before we start recording, we have established probably being connected on Instagram for a good decade. I don't know, Nadia, how do you feel about that? It's like, does that make you feel old or... (laughs) wise Lynn very wise <laughs> wise yeah um and I'm going to put all the links to where you can find Nadia at the show notes and we'll talk about that at the end as well but Nadia thank you so much you're so welcome to be here on the joyful nourishment podcast thank you what a lovely welcome so warm thank you <laughs> you're welcome yeah and we're like at the very opposites of the planets right now so absolutely yeah so there is that too but I, when I invited you, I, when we discussed this, what I really wanted to talk about is, I suppose, the presence on Instagram, how your work, my work has also evolved over this decade. Um, what has changed for us personally, like posting mm-hmm. and thinking mm-hmm. and in your bio, you talk about the great unlearning. So I would love for us to kind of you know, dive a little bit deeper into that and and what you mean with that. And then hopefully we'll move towards where, you know, how, 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 as a consumer or as a, as an everyday person, how do you sort of discern this incredibly confusing space of nutrition, information online, health information online, and, you know, embedded Mm -hmm. in diet culture and all the juicy stuff. And hopefully this is going to be something for people to think about um after listening to this episode yeah yeah I think that's a really interesting question as you said the amount of time that we have been you know almost from the beginning of Instagram I'm pretty I'm not 100% but I think that maybe it came out either late 2012 or kind of early 2013 as a as a platform yeah so somewhere along that timeline somewhere yeah somewhere there um and yeah, as you spoke to both of us being users from that kind of early stage, I I, I think the biggest like personal change is that uh, initially I joined the platform as just a, you know, regular user. I didn't have a brand. I didn't, um, I, I literally didn't have a brand full stop, but I certainly wasn't um, showing up in that way. I was consuming content. I was posting, you know, the terrible filtered photos of the time. <laughs> Um, and if nobody has a reference to that or somebody doesn't have a reference to that, you're not missing anything. They were really bad. (laughs) 
Yeah. Like everything was so dark. I don't know what we were all doing, but it was really strange. So yeah, personally, that's definitely the biggest change. I I have shown up more um maybe I'd say eight years, but but more intensively, say five years or six years on Instagram, especially as a professional, right? To do advocacy mm-hmm. work to to kind of represent different ideas and kind of different type of content. And I personally, as a, as an individual, do spend actually not a lot of time on social media as like a person, a person. I'm always a person, but you know what yep. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, and I think that is interesting. I find it interesting. Social media usage, I think, is more nuanced to discussion than like, I think it can be very black and white, like a lot of things, it's good or bad or, but um, partly I'm just not that interested in it. Like, I I think I spend a lot of time on it for work, so I'm probably just less interested in it otherwise. Um, Also, I do challenge myself to, you know, create a life that is is in real life and like touching plants and animals and being outside and um, not always on a computer or on a phone. And to be honest, as I'm sure we'll dig into, I think also because the platform has just changed so much, yeah. it, it isn't what it was. And and it just, I guess that's part of why it's probably not as appealing to me as a, as a user. Um, I think, like I was thinking about this idea, I think you said, how has it evolved? And like mm. in terms of work for me especially, I think social media in the best way and, you know, our conversation, I think, is an example of that, really is in the best way a place to connect with humans and ideas in new ways. Like it's so unimaginable, I think, for if that's always been someone's life, depending on when you're born, um, for younger generations, it's probably unimaginable, but we didn't grow up like this and we didn't have these connections, right? You couldn't just, um, it, it is something we probably all forget that we couldn't just access newness like this. And I think allowing yourself to be influenced, and I intentionally use that word, um, can be very positive. I don't think it's always a negative. I I think there's more context to it. Um, You know, so like I've always been a socially minded person, but that by my own admission really never intersected with my work until probably 2019. Okay. And before like say before 2019 cuz right now at the moment your work is all online. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you have an online business um in the sense of providing nutrition counseling online mm-hmm. solely. So before that before sort of yeah, you kind of put most of your work and and you you know I don't know if you want to call it marketing and out there but like the and the advocacy mm-hmm. work uh through Instagram. What like what did your kind of off offline work look like um mm-hmm. prior to that or like where was the intersection work person personal life um before 2019 yeah I think that's a good question as well like how I guess you're asking like how was it showing up if not in my work I guess in that mm-hmm. space right and, um I think it showed up in you know the volunteer work that I would be participating and still do participate in um the, the types of kind of, I guess, political activism I've always been somewhat involved in. And, and again, like I've always had it very separate from my quote unquote work life or person. Uh, okay. mm-hmm. um, and I think that's also 
by design of how we all live because we are taught things are existing in isolation. I also was under that belief that you you don't necessarily bring your full self to everything. You keep things separate because it's more pleasant for other people or it's more applicable or appropriate. Um, So, yeah, I think that's part of the great unlearning, right, is like who said and why. (laughs) Yeah, and how do we navigate that space? Because I think it's like a particular as well when you're out on a public domain like that as yourself, um, well, you know, we, mm-hmm. we talk about personal branding, right? And then you want to be your full self, but there's also part of your life that everybody has a right to remain private, right? So right. navigating that space, and I hear from people sometimes like that people watching, like I don't like the word consumers because it feels really dehumanizing, but the mm-hmm. the people who are participating on the other side, sometimes, not obviously everyone, but sometimes people have, like huge expectations on their YouTubers or your Instagram person um, that why are you not doing this and why are you not showing that? And it's like forgetting that we're also real people on the other end of the screen with thoughts, emotions, feelings, different contexts of our lives. And when we are picking things up from like, when I'm say watching your content, I get a sense of you, but it's also filtered through my own biases and lenses and, you know, right. Life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, No, that's a great point. I think you're, I think that's a a very important point about the expectation. And then if I kind of bring another, I guess, addition, I think there's also real opportunity and something I like to leverage. I intentionally leverage around accessibility of folks particularly in a very healthcare-focused lens here that traditionally you can't access. I literally had this conversation this morning with someone. You can't access in a traditional sense, well, at least it's never been my experience, a healthcare person and kind of get to know them. You can't really, you know, watch YouTube channels necessarily unless they're kind of famous, so quote-unquote, people first, you know, you can't necessarily access in a casual, informal way a conversation. And I think whilst the expectation of what and how someone behaves isn't necessarily the most helpful way to engage online, uh, I think that access and maybe kind of people assume they know you, which I have definitely heard before, um, I like to leverage that as more of an accessibility aspect and kind of dismantling in my great unlearning something like inherent hierarchical aspects, say, in um, healthcare arrangements, which I feel are unnecessary. They're just absolutely unnecessary. I, I, like you read in my bio or described, um, I see my work as guiding someone back to themselves, not guiding them to me, not guiding them to my prescription, (laughs) Yes, I I so, agree with you. I would also sit on, on that fence that our work is to help facilitate for people to get them, yeah, find find themselves in that process or come come back to mm-hmm. themselves or learn more about themselves and, and we're there to support that process. But it's, and I think if we were bringing that back to some of the stuff on, say, a platform like Instagram, and I was at a conference there during the 
um, at the weekend as well. Mm-hmm. And it was a nutrition conference. And one of the speakers said, he said, you know, we talk about personalized nutrition and personalized healthcare. And then he said, I still see people, big names in the world of health and wellness mm-hmm. and whatever, writing books saying, my diet is the one. Uh-huh. Or yes. We see it in fitness influencer world where if you do what I do, you will look like me. Yeah. I know it sucks, right? I think that that is, you know, and, and actually like, so Lynn, I know you would have seen this too. I know people listening would have seen this, uh, particularly if they're kind of not brand new to the world of unlearning diet culture and kind of, um, you know, as we just said a moment ago, coming back to their own wisdom and their own intuition, for instance, I think there is this kind of narrative that exists. And and again, I have probably reiterated it at some point myself where the, the quote unquote people to be concerned about online, the charlatans as they're called, are the people who are not qualified in the space or not credentialed is maybe a better way to think of it. Uh, and I, I don't believe that to be true at all. I, I think the, the real concern is, for instance, um, and there's so many of them, it's frightening, people with MD, if you're in the States, or, or a doctor in their kind of title, who, again, have a product, have a service, this is the way we should all be eating. And it's so, like, how could... I mean, maybe we need to kind of talk about like why that's why that's so believable and what the concern is there. But like I can absolutely and have been the person on the other end of that who believes it. Yeah. And what do you think, like from where you're sitting, both maybe personally lived experience in the past and also like as a profession, what do you think that is so compelling to like mm-hmm. find that like, oh yeah, well, this is the this must be the one thing. And even if it's not like the intersection between diet culture and wellness culture is sometimes like it's that rigidity around an eating pattern, right? but you just removed maybe the weight focus, but now it's about something else, right? Wellness, right? Wellness. (laughs) Look, I think nuance and context, which need and are relevant to everything, every conversation, every interpretation, like you said, you are, for instance, engaging with my content or I'm engaging with anyone else's content with my own lens applied, with my own world experience applied. So that's just one tiny micro example of, and and I say that because nuance and context are almost impossible to address well on social media about anything, about any topic. And when we're talking about like health and nutrition as just big concepts, I know they're big concepts. I'm just kind of, I think it's simpler to use them sometimes. I think why it's seductive and I think why it's very powerful and therefore harmful is that folks who are intentionally seeking this out, and I have been this person, so I am bringing my own lens to this, are much more vulnerable to the information to start with. So we may not bring critical thinking that's vital we may not bring a discernment or an awareness that the context is missing because we don't even know there's a context to be found or talked about. Um, and, and this is a good example, right? So something that might seem really innocuous, something like someone in our position or it could be a doctor, really anyone in, in kind of the space, 
Say they say um, a post like just eat whole foods, because I know I've said something like that before, <laughs> probably many times. Maybe you, I, I'm sure you have too. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it doesn't sound like there's a few things here. It's not that necessarily things are untrue. It's just that there's a direct upholding and reinforcing of ideas like rigidity, depending on how that person is already positioned to be receiving it. Because if they're already thinking, hey, you are what you eat, I've got to, you know, maybe it's not a weight focus, like you said, but like health is all about what I eat. If someone's coming into contact with knowledge and content online with that belief system, which we're kind of taught anyway, and maybe also their doctor told them they got to lose weight, or maybe their doctor told them their cholesterol is too high, or there's a bit of fear or uncertainty around their body, they're kind of like primed, particularly if the person is credentialed, yeah. to go, oh, this is an automatic trust. This is an automatic, this is the thing I should be doing. And, you know, there is an assumed idea, I think, that we are, again, carrying around that, you know, nutrition is the same as health. You are what you eat. As I said before, there's one way to eat, which is why those kinds of books or those kind of um, ideas that get put out there, they really do just uphold what we're already believing to some degree anyway. But I guess if we think of, and I wonder how many people listening can identify with this, if you are at war with your body, if you don't trust your body, if you're not connected to it, if you're struggling with your health, your body image, when you see content like that, you're not necessarily hearing or, again, looking for context. You're hearing it as, oh, this is the solution. Yeah, this, this is, is the solution. And if right? I can't attain that, there's something wrong with me and I'm bad. Yeah, and so that's the vicious cycle, right? It's the hot new thing. It's the thing that's going to help me. You know, nutrition and health advice really for for any, you know, even someone who's like, I struggle with emotional eating, and maybe I need to be kind of told what to eat. Like maybe they're carrying that idea or maybe they go, oh yeah, I'll just eat like whole foods to come back to that example. I, it, it's never going to land, I think, well. I think it does land with harm. Uh, and I feel like I can say that confidently because they're the people I support, the people that have been harmed by this repeatedly end up in that vicious cycle, like you said, of blaming themselves when at the core I guess, you know, it's fair to say that, yes, we could be harming with anything we're saying and we can't necessarily account for all of that. But generally speaking, I think this is why speaking about very complicated aspects like how we eat in a very generalized way is probably never going to be helpful. I agree with I think that's where actually I've netted out because if I look back on maybe some of my earlier blog posts and things mm -hmm. from 10 years ago, I would have been more in that nutrition education space. But I think <laughs> as I've been like learning, it's not like that that doesn't matter, but it's the it's Ooh. problematic when you put it out in that sort of public domain, because like you say, there is like it, it, the context and nuance of this on a very limited platform where you have, space for five words on a graphic or whatever 150 words in the caption that nobody long, no longer reads it's <laughs> it just isn't it isn't helpful and you know you know like I, I mean I feel like when you're sitting with your clients 
in the room, you have very different conversations and they pertain to that person and you are working through the complexity and accessibility that that person have, whether that Mm -hmm. is financial, whether that is um, energy-wise, skills-wise, and that just, like, it's not possible to do that in those little squares. And I think I have netted out where you are in the sense of like general nutrition advice, though it could be helpful, it's not actually helpful and potentially harmful um, in those bite-sized pieces on social media. And if we think of who's seeking them out, generally speaking, and, you know, this is assumptive of me and, and maybe there's no way we could ever know this, but if you are seeking it out, if you're if we're talking about a person who's seeking it out, and again, I'm going to put my own just lived experience of doing this, we are possibly already in a compromised, vulnerable position again to the information. So it isn't, it, it, there's already an, in, an implicit kind of concern with the dynamic of what you're seeking. And I guess if someone is kind of like, well, and I do think of things like access issues, right? Maybe someone can't afford individualized support. I mean, I wish everyone could just have the support they need across all healthcare and it just wasn't a big deal globally, but it is a big deal. And this is also part of, I'm sure you feel the same of why I produce so much free content. And and it's something that's really important to me because I I personally just can't see a huge amount of people because I'm one person. There's only so many people who do this work and then the you know time and, and investment from a financial perspective is not always accessible. So I do I do sometimes consider. Look, I've said that from a very privileged position of like access to nutrition information online is harmful, can be really harmful, and I think is not just innocuous. Even even again, the really safe quote unquote safe, like just eat this and eat the rainbow. And I mean, I've heard so many people be confronted and concerned by those ideas in the end so I just kind of wonder if that's an opportunity for folks to check in of like if you are feeling confused overwhelmed unsure about what the content you're consuming is like I think that's really fair I think I get it I think it's a nightmare honestly and there's probably Len even more than ever before it's it's slicker you know like yeah I mean when I did my original Wild. nutrition training in like 2007, like Facebook, mm-hmm. like when I started, like Facebook was only in its infancy. Instagram didn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I graduated from my original training in 2010. That was pre-Instagram. Like, yeah. even in said in our code of ethics, we weren't allowed to save people online either. That had to be updated yeah. as things went along. Yeah. And it just wasn't like you know you'd access some books you could search out some sites but it wasn't bombarded at you and then what you said like how things have shape-shifted and become Mm. slicker or yeah Yeah. that that's it's just really confusing and then you know I mean over the 10-ish or so bit more years that I've been in, in the nutrition space there has been several trends come and go already. And I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering where are we going to go when we, now we've got to the one where we've sort of stopped eating, like where are we going to go after that? What's next? (laughs) Right. So it's, yeah. yeah. And, and I know some of my, my teachers and mentors have been in the nutrition space for 20, 30 years. 
yeah, they've seen them all cycling around a few times already. So it's not new, you know, it's not new. I think also like you, you were speaking before about how context and nuance, I mean, it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are or how careful or considerate, like you just can't cover everything, space, capacity, being a person, like all of the things. So if we're kind of saying maybe there isn't a credible way to create or to consume, I, I think that's part of the conversation. It's certainly something I, I challenge myself on and, and think about. And and to be honest, sometimes it's quite paralyzing even in of itself, like what do I do then? Um, I think also by design, the platforms and and just what they are, and this isn't because it's good or bad, it just is. I think therefore what happens because context and nuance are lacking, the norms that we might be very used to, like weight is health, um, thinner is better, there's good food, bad food, like I mean those kind of really norms Mm -hmm. The the ones we've all been conditioned with, no matter where we're from in the world, really, and and who we are, they become, therefore, so much easier to continue upholding and representing and selling. Because a little tile, um, just eat whole foods, that's catchy, you know, that's, well, maybe not so much anymore because it's, it's, it's pretty out there now, but like, whatever the equivalent is these days, (laughs) yeah. imagine you know like and again I feel very challenged by this a lot of how to convey even in a podcast it's hard even with 20-30 minutes it's hard yeah (laughs) and you have here you have a bit more space for the context the nuance and particularly I think when the two of us having a conversation so we can bounce back and forwards but it's like yeah like it, it it's it's all of those and then I think coupled with that you now have algorithms that are driving more divisive or divisive content because yeah. that sort of keeps people engaged mm-hmm. in an enraged way. And mm-hmm. that's a whole other kind of thing as well that is sort of been added to the mix that I don't feel was necessarily there in the same way 10 years ago. Yeah, I agree. And and you spoke before, I'm pretty sure it was before we, we started recording, but how you kind of do in the, the capitalist hellscape that we're kind of living in here, that, that we also do kind of by default become content creators. And yeah. and I don't necessarily use that identity. It's not something that's that meaningful to me in terms of a of language, but I am. You are. Like <laughs> It's actually a very big part of my week, you know? So that's weird in a sense as well. Um, I I think, you know, I'm I'm not someone that's paying a huge amount of attention to what platforms are doing and not doing other than just being a user and noticing it. I actually try really intentionally to just kind of divest from concern because it will change next week or it'll change next month. Like I can't do anything. And I, I just want to put my, I'd be curious if, you know, how you feel about this, but I, I just want to put my focus and energy where I think it will be best spent. And if five people see that and it's helpful, well, that's brilliant. You know, like I'm not paying for ads. I'm not a huge company. I don't have 500 million followers. So like, I'm not going to be, um, high in the algorithm is my understanding, you know, and, and, but there's power in like sharing, right? There's power in, I told my neighbor about your account or your ideas or your podcast. Like 
I think, again, like when I think of my own experience on social media, it has been instrumental in influencing me positively and, and helping me to connect to ideas and people that I may never have otherwise. And so when I take that lens, I try to bring that into my own work. I don't need to, I'm not trying to be famous. I'm not trying to have a million of anything, um, dollars or people or follow, you know, like Mm. I want to change for people to then keep enacting change for people. And that doesn't need huge numbers. Agreed. Yeah, I think I would I would be like that. And I think I've become quite disillusioned with Instagram in the way they pushed and forced you to kind of put your content out or what you want to share in a very particular way to either videos or reels. Videos, yeah. It has yeah. to be this way and you have to act this way. And, and I'm like, no, mm. <laughs> I'm not doing it because it doesn't it's not who I am. It's not what I like doing. It's not how I kind of, you know, and I, I felt like I was being pushed into a box to perform for this, like, and not for like what you're saying. It's like you create your content for the people. And if it's five people who see it or it's 10 or it's a hundred or a thousand, it doesn't matter because you create it because you hope that it's going to be helpful for, for most mm-hmm. people or, or, but I was starting to feel like the effort I'm putting in here to share my content, it's not for the people that it might land for. It's actually for the algorithm to make sure that it actually does show it to some people. And I'm like, I'm not okay with that, actually. <laughs> it's really so, frustrating. Yeah, you know, I, so that's I, why I've moved my newsletter to Substack and why this podcast lives on Substack. And mm-hmm. Uh, but I have again been on Instagram for a very long time and there is elements like we're able to sit here and have a (laughs) conversation on opposite sides of the planet and those kind of connections are important and those are the what I do value about the social media we've had now for what 15 years Mm. or so um, Mm. that we didn't have access to before like like being ac- being able to connect with peers and other like-minded people. And I think that goes both as a professional, but also as a person when you are in the space of moving away from dieting and trying to heal your relationship with food and eating and body and like become aware of diet culture. And it's, it can be so isolating. Like it's already isolating when you're struggling and then now mm-hmm. you're trying to go a different radical path and you're like, I don't know anybody who's on it yeah. in my life. <laughs> yeah. So yep. having access to that online, I think it's it's valuable. It is important too. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. So I I just want to sort of like circle back a little bit to the beginning mm-hmm. of what, like, and I, I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. When I first started following your content back in 2014 or something, mm-hmm. 15, and it was very sort of nutrition centric. And then... Mm-hmm now you're doing more intuitive eating and intersectional work you know and talk about diet culture and the harms of diet culture what what was what has been that switch for you personally how do you like were you always kind of heading for that direction or did something shift or what has that journey looked like for you it's a very valid question (laughs) I think um you know I have probably never been able to sum this up 
as well as I think I I now can or I hope that I now can, which is to say I really and, and still do, I love the kind of traditional nutrition um, centric approach in terms of how we can support ourselves, the 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 kind of nitty gritty that you can improve upon your well-being and how you feel as an individual based on even if, for instance, it's just making food more accessible, like like the the logistical and the tangible, like that still does get me excited like it did eight, nine, ten years ago. Um, it's what led me to go to university and study nutrition, and I still feel that way about those concepts. But I guess in a nutshell, what shifted is inevitably every person that sat across from me through my undergraduate clinical placement and then in my first particularly my first six months trying to establish a practice of my own, like a, a business of my own, was you could never really get to those conversations with people. And I don't think I had the language. I'm not going to pretend I understood really what was going on. I just knew that the theme across age, across gender, across life experience was fear of food, uh, fear of weight gain, dissatisfaction with their body, um, maybe something they would call emotional eating or binge eating. Like the norm of that really did like shock me, if I'm being honest. I, I, I kind of in my own worldview, in my own um, story, I guess that I told myself was either disordered eating and or eating disorders. And I mean, there's an overlap of course there are in a small amount of people and it's not that common. And it's also not, not my scope, right? Because that's not how you're trained. You're not trained for that. And so I I was like, well, there's something missing here. Why, why am I seeing people that are dealing with this? And they tell me they want this thing, but we can't even talk about fiber. Wow. Because you're frightened to eat carbohydrates and fiber are carbohydrates. So like, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not laughing at the individuals at any means. It no. just, it, it kept kind of hitting me in the face that this isn't really what people are needing and that actually my degree, again, by no means was um, a waste or, or something that I don't use but was grossly inadequate to what people are actually navigating. And that's obviously why I decided to do post-grad work um, more into, I guess, a counselling kind of modalities and then more into, as you said, intuitive eating. I mean, I've done body image certification trainings uh, and and my I guess lens, particularly from 2019, became, uh, and and maybe 2020 on top of that, considering what was going on in the world at that time from a social justice perspective was, it did kind of hit me all at once that like I was asking myself, why isn't this belief system of mine reflected in my work? Because it, it is in my head uh, and I want to be, and I think that's important at least to me, um, nothing exists in isolation. Nothing exists in a vacuum. The way people feel about food in their bodies didn't come from them. It didn't come out of nowhere. And if, for instance, the goal that they have is to feel, you know, my, someone might say, like, I want to feel the best I can from food. I believe them. I absolutely believe them. But if we're here and here being all or nothing thinking, extremes, black and whites, at war with their body, don't trust themselves. This is so far away 
if I'm being really honest, like this, you know, I, I know you would be familiar with that. And so I actually would offer that the food tangible side is the easier part of it. Yeah. And, and like when you're like the type of person you're describing, like the manipulating what they're eating or changing that is actually not going to get them where they want to be because that's not really what's, what's keeping them stuck in where they are. And yeah, I think my Mm -hmm. journey as a practitioner in the sense was quite similar. Like when you go out there and you practice, it's kind of like right it's not very clear-cut like oh here you know here's what we you know what you could be cooking and eating and I had some clients like that but then all of a sudden there was all these other dynamics coming up and you're like I can see them I can feel them I definitely know personally some of these experiences but how am I going to navigate that and it's also like I mean things might have changed now 10-15 years on but like but there were so little conversations around the relationship with food dynamic. And that's outside of like saying, well, if you want to work with eating disorders or disordered eating and like, like maybe more specifically focus the work that you do today and that I do today that is directly targeted at that dynamic. But for people who are doing more general nutrition work and supporting people's health through nutrition, these things will also come in and I'm starting hearing from colleagues now who are working say with people in midlife or in perimenopause and menopause symptoms that oh there is a huge amount of like relationship with food stuff like bubbling up to the surface and they kind of go I don't know what to do with this and the person Absolutely. in the room are not necessarily there to work with that but in order to do the other work you kind of have to look mm-hmm. at that too. And I think just by design, you know, nutrition as a human concept is relatively new. Nutrition science is relatively new. Um, I mean, by that lens, modern medicine is also relatively new in our human understanding. And I don't think new is bad, but I I think that, you know, again, in my own unlearning of everything, um, I think there are inherent problematic inbuilt ideas to the practice of nutrition. The centering of nutrition, for instance, is hugely problematic. Most people believe health is what they eat. uh, And that in itself is so debilitating, therefore, to them actually pursuing quote unquote health, right? If if we had a, what I would love to kind of, and, and like to think I do offer to people, a redefined version of health and well-being where food for your well-being is if you want it to be part of it sure but that might be joy which i think is going to be very relevant to you of course that might be actually decentering food in your life yeah. you know rather than it being the epicenter of everything and it that creating such disharmony and stress and anxiety and again this might be folks who are just regular folks without any diagnosed eating disorder problems I think the way that we learn to relate to food and to body and to health is inherently unhealthy. And so there is just so much to unlearn before I think we can have very neutral conversations about addition to diets and fiber because how people hear it, you know, coming full circle to our chat, I guess, is like, oh, this is the thing. This, This is the thing to do now. 
instead of just one practice that hopefully supports you and maybe it doesn't really work for you and then we kind of got to troubleshoot something else or you know brainstorm something else yeah 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 I I, I do I do agree and I think it's a it's a thought-provoking kind of way of thinking about (laughs) it like if you are just starting to think about these things you know yeah Uh, because I think I don't know, to my clinical practices, some like we observing stuff. And then it was like, even before I made a total switch to become fully weight inclusive. And I have spoken about this in one of my earlier episodes. There was something that was grating on me, like when I was weighing people. And I was Mm. like, why am I doing this? I'm uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable. I don't do it to myself because that wasn't helpful. But I couldn't, I was, I didn't have a language or wasn't able to name what it was that was grating on me until I sort of you know sort of fell into groups and places where they were really talking about why this was problematic like in within health at every size and other non-diet weight inclusive communities and then I'm like ah okay now I kind of but you could feel it and it's same I think with the sort of nutrition education or advice or whatever like you sort of like oh I'm not sure does it feel right or it's like it's not landing the way I think it should or the way I want it to I was like I don't understand why that is but it's like you're saying it's like because we've been there's so much social conditioning in in how we think about food and nutrition and health and how that nutrition piece has become that centered where health is so much broader than that you're right if if that's not to say that it doesn't have impact or that it can have big impacts and for a lot of people it's not the piece or it's not the main piece or it's a supportive side piece um in in the greater context of of their health and well-being and their lives so I know Nadia we could probably keep chatting for ages (laughs) and I know you have this is only one little piece of what you do and who knows maybe we'll we'll come back to a, a around two at some point but I do want to close our conversation off to bring it back to you um so I'd like to ask people what does joyful nourishment mean for them and yeah how do you engage in that practice I it's a beautiful question (laughs) thank you um I think to me I, I think it's life. I, I think it's the, the vein of life in a sense, like prioritizing my own care as a whole complex person and, and filling up my cup, I guess, so to speak, is the vein literally of my life. I think about it. I prioritize it. I center that. Um, and I, I, I guess I, I don't really have a way. Um, I would say there's kind of three practices that kind of sit in unison together um one being the reality that we I think we all need time to reset and recharge and I think inside you know living in capitalism and under capitalism that is absolutely a reality so for me that's something that's really important is like a a reset it can and look very vastly different depending but it's it's often just time alone but then equally important is, you know, fulfilling time with people that I love 
and time in nature because we are part of nature rather than kind of, again, the hierarchical idea that we are better than it or above it um, rather than part of it and being I'm fortunate to live in such a beautiful part of the world. I'm near the ocean. I'm near forest. It, it's it's almost impossible to like not feel, I think, energized by that or to feel grateful and empowered, you know, even on a crappy day or even on a down day. And um, so I feel like those three things are like the vein of life to me. Thank you. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. Like to center that as a, as a practice for one's life. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. This has been, I loved it. Hopefully people are listening are going to enjoy this conversation, but I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for being here, Nadja. And just quickly, where can people find you if they want to go and look at your work? And I will put all the links in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for asking. Um, So all of the things are Nadia Felsch. So at Nadia Felsch on all platforms, um, my website is nadiafelsch.com. And um, as you said, Lynn, you'll have the links if you're not sure how to spell it, because it is a tricky one. Um, and then my podcast is called Food and Body Freedom that you can search wherever you get podcasts. Super. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Joyful Nourishment Podcast is produced with no financial backing and your support means a lot to keep this project going. If this episode has been helpful in any way, please consider liking, subscribing, or leaving a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. This helps the podcasts to be found by others. And of course, you can also forward this episode to a friend whom you think may benefit. Find out more about what I offer on straightforwardnutrition.com. And if you're interested in working with me, Please use the link in the show notes to book in for a free initial 30-minute session. And finally, please come and join the Joyful Nourishment community over on Substack unless you're there already by subscribing to my newsletter using the link below.